Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Tuesday, August 29th. Torah was meant to be lived out in community and in the context of relationships. A very effective way to study the Bible is in a small group doing a midrash or discussion. This helps you to go deeper into the Word as you take time to reflect on it, make connections from one scripture to another, and apply the scriptures to your personal walk. We have added a new feature on the Daily Audio Torah website. If you are involved in a small group Bible study or would like to start one, we can help you. We have added discussion questions for you to use when your group gathers. We will post discussion questions for every weekend reading, and they will be posted on the website a week in advance so you have time to read and prepare ahead of time. We've also posted guidelines for leaders and facilitators to help you grow your small group in a healthy way. Just go to the new pick on the menu, Discussion Questions, and you will find everything you need there to nurture and grow your small group. Have fun learning and growing in God's Word together in your small group. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we continue the Torah portion, Ki Tavo, and it means, When you go in. Deuteronomy 27, 11-26 That same day Moses also gave this charge to the people. When you cross the Jordan River, the tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin must stand on Mount Gerizim to proclaim a blessing over the people. And the tribes of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali must stand on Mount Ebal to proclaim a curse. Then the Levites will shout to all the people of Israel, Cursed is anyone who carves or casts an idol and secretly sets it up. These idols, the work of craftsmen, are detestable to the Lord. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who dishonors father or mother. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who steals property from a neighbor by moving a boundary marker. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who leads a blind person astray on the road. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with one of his father's wives, for he has violated his father. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with an animal. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed 
is anyone who has sexual intercourse with his sister, whether she is the daughter of his father or his mother. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who has sexual intercourse with his mother-in-law. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who attacks a neighbor in secret. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who accepts payment to kill an innocent person. And all the people will reply, Amen. Cursed is anyone who does not affirm and obey the terms of these instructions. And all the people will reply, Amen. Job 31, 1-33, 33. I, Job, made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. For what has God above chosen for us? What is our inheritance from the Almighty on high? Isn't it calamity for the wicked and misfortune for those who do evil? Doesn't he see everything I do and every step I take? Have I lied to anyone or deceived anyone? Let God weigh me on the scales of justice, for he knows my integrity. If I have strayed from his pathway, or if my heart has lusted for what my eyes have seen, or if I am guilty of any other sin, then let someone else eat the crops I have planted. Let all that I have planted be uprooted. If my heart has been seduced by a woman, or if I have lusted for my neighbor's wife, then let my wife serve another man. Let other men sleep with her, for lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It is a fire that burns all the way to hell. It would wipe out everything I own. If I have been unfair to my male or female servants when they brought their complaints to me, how could I face God? What could I say when he questioned me? For God created both me and my servants. He created us both in the womb. Have I refused to help the poor or crush the hopes of widows? Have I been stingy with my food and refused to share it with orphans? No, from childhood I have cared for orphans like a father, and all my life I have cared for widows. Whenever I saw the homeless without clothes and the needy with nothing to wear, Did they not praise me for providing wool clothing to keep them warm? If I raised my hand against an orphan, knowing the judges would take my side, then let my shoulder be wrenched out of place. Let my arm be torn from its socket. That would be better than facing God's judgment, for if the majesty of God opposes me, what hope is there? Have I put my trust in money or felt secure because of my gold? Have I gloated about my wealth and all that I own? Have I looked at the sun shining in the skies or the moon walking down its silver pathway and been secretly enticed in my heart to throw kisses at them in worship? If so, I should be punished by the judges, for it would mean I had denied the God of heaven. Have I ever rejoiced when disaster struck my enemies? or become excited when harm came their way? No, I have never sinned by cursing anyone or by asking for revenge. My servants have never said, He let others go hungry. I have never turned away a stranger, but have opened my doors to everyone. Have I tried to hide my sins like other people do, concealing my guilt in my heart? Have I feared the crowd or the contempt of the masses, so that I kept quiet and stayed indoors? If only someone would listen to me, 
Look, I will sign my name to my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser write out the charges against me. I would face the accusation proudly. I would wear it like a crown, for I would tell him exactly what I have done. I would come before him like a prince. If my land accuses me, and all its furrows cry out together, or if I have stolen its crops or murdered its owners, then let thistles grow on that land instead of wheat, and weeds instead of barley. Job's words are ended. Job's three friends refused to reply further to him because he kept insisting on his innocence. Then Elihu, son of Barakel the Buzite of the clan of Ram, became angry. He was angry because Job refused to admit that he had sinned and that God was right in punishing him. He was also angry with Job's three friends, for they made God appear to be wrong by their inability to answer Job's arguments. Elihu had waited for the others to speak to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that they had no further reply, he spoke out angrily. Elihu, son of Barakel the Buzite, said, I am young and you are old, so I held back from telling you what I think. I thought those who are older should speak, for wisdom comes with age. But there is a spirit within people, the breath of the Almighty within them, that makes them intelligent. Sometimes the elders are not wise, sometimes the aged do not understand justice. So listen to me and let me tell you what I think. I have waited all this time, listening very carefully to your arguments, listening to you grope for words. I have listened, but not one of you has refuted Job or answered his arguments. And don't tell me he is too wise for us. Only God can convince him. If Job had been arguing with me, I would not answer with your kind of logic. You sit there baffled with nothing more to say. Should I continue to wait now that you are silent? Must I also remain silent? No, I will say my peace. I will speak my mind, for I am full of pent-up words, and the spirit within me urges me on. I am like a cask of wine without a vent, like a new wineskin ready to burst. I must speak to find relief, so let me give my answers. I won't play favorites or try to flatter anyone, for if I tried flattery, my Creator would soon destroy me. Listen to my words, Job. Pay attention to what I have to say. Now that I have begun to speak, let me continue. I speak with all sincerity. I speak the truth. For the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Answer me if you can. Make your case and take your stand. Look, you and I both belong to God. I, too, was formed from clay, so you don't need to be afraid of me. I won't come down hard on you. You have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard your very words. You said, I am pure, I am without sin, I am innocent, I have no guilt. God is picking a quarrel with me, and he considers me his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks and watches my every move. But you are wrong, and I will show you why. For God is greater than any human being. So why are you bringing a charge against him? Why say he does not respond to people's complaints? For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. He speaks in dreams, in visions of the night. When deep sleep falls on people, as they lie in their beds, he whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings. He makes them turn from doing wrong 
He keeps them from pride. He protects them from the grave, from crossing over the river of death. Or God disciplines people with pain on their sickbeds, with ceaseless aching in their bones. They lose their appetite for even the most delicious food. Their flesh wastes away and their bones stick out. They are at death's door. The angels of death wait for them. But if an angel from heaven appears, a special messenger to intercede for a person and declare that he is upright, he will be gracious and say, Rescue him from the grave, for I have found a ransom for his life. Then his body will become as healthy as a child's, firm and youthful again. When he prays to God, he will be accepted, and God will receive him with joy and restore him to good standing. He will declare to his friends, I sinned and twisted the truth, but it was not worth it. God rescued me from the grave, and now my life is filled with light. Yes, God does these things again and again for people. He rescues them from the grave so they may enjoy the light of life. Mark this well, Job. Listen to me, for I have more to say. But if you have anything to say, go ahead, speak, for I am anxious to see you justified. But if not, then listen to me. Keep silent, and I will teach you wisdom. Second Corinthians 3, 1-18 Are we, Paul and his co-workers, beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you, yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved, not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So, if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, How much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. 
But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Psalm 43, 1-5 Declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars, for you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. I praise you with my harp, O God, my God. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Proverbs 22, 8 and 9 Those who plant injustice will harvest disaster, and their reign of terror will come to an end. Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. I'd like to speak to you today from our reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and what we read was very, very significant and important to really reflect on and take it in internally. So in this chapter, it makes a comparison and a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. And it talks about how under the old covenant, that this covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. And the old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at it. Also, it talks about under that there was glory on Moses' face, but that it began to fade away. And shouldn't we expect even greater glory under the new way or the new covenant? So the old covenant, when it's being read, there's a veil covering people's minds so they cannot understand the truth. And it's only by Christ being born again uh, that this veil is removed. Um, Even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. So whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So it's a contrast between the old and the new covenant. And to kind of go into this even more, we have a reading in Hebrew. To look at this comparison and contrast and dig a little bit deeper, I want to cross-reference this to Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. Because the new covenant is not really new. 
It was mentioned in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, in Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. It's a prophecy about this new covenant to come. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. So he's referring back to the covenant made at Mount Sinai when the Ten Commandments were given. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So here's the difference. The old covenant was external. It was written on two stone tablets. It was rule-driven. And in the natural, in the flesh, it is impossible to keep all 613 commands from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. In our own self, in our own effort, in our own flesh, we will fail. But what he's saying here in Jeremiah 31, 33 is, I'm going to take those instructions, those commands, and I'm going to put them inside of you. I'm going to put them in your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to write the instructions, the commands on your heart. That's the difference. Another place where we see a comparison and contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant is in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18, where it is written, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. He's saying, you're not coming to that mountain. That would be Mount Sinai. Verse 19, For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Now here's the comparison. Verse 22, No, you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. We're not going to Mount Sinai, where the giving of the law was given by Moses. We're going to Mount Zion. Verse 23, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. How do we get to this Mount Zion? How do we step into this new covenant? Verse 24 gives us the answer. You have come to Yeshua the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So we see that we have an old covenant and a new covenant, and a mistake that sometimes happens in the Hebrew roots world, in the Messianic Hebrew roots world, is that 
people begin to drift away from Yeshua. They begin to drift away from the leading and the guiding, the still small, quiet voice of the Holy Spirit. They wrap their arms around the Torah and around Moses and put all their focus and attention and energy into Moses and into the first five books. And what they do is they begin to walk away from Mount Zion and walk away from the new covenant and go back to the old covenant. They go back to Mount Sinai and to following Moses. And it doesn't happen suddenly all at once. It's a slow drift away from Yeshua. And this is a great danger. This this is really, it's, I'm strongly warning you, it's very, very important to stay connected to Yeshua and to the Holy Spirit and not to drift away from him or walk away from him slowly or suddenly. We must stay connected to him. Now, I'm going to share a vision with you that I had a few years ago that actually takes this principle that I've shared and it expands upon it even further. And it was a very impactful unforgettable vision. I'll never forget it. Um, it really impacted me in a great way. And, and I believe it takes this principle and really expands upon it in a deeper way. So in this vision, I was um, watching, inter- there was a room and inside the room, there were two brides and they were each sitting on a chair. They were fully dressed for the wedding. They had their wedding dress on and their veil. And each of them had a book in their lap. The first bride was reading the New Testament and the veil was pushed back away from her face and she read it with great understanding and her face radiated and glowed. But as soon as she turned into the Old Testament, into the Hebrew scriptures, the veil came down over her face and she had no understanding of what she was reading. With the second bride, it was quite the opposite. She was reading the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the veil was off of her face. Her face radiated and it glowed. And as soon as she got into the New Testament, a veil came over her face and she had no understanding. And then a great Shekinah glory cloud came and filled the room. It was like very dense fog and I couldn't see anything. And it was the glory of God. And it was there for a little bit, and then the glory cloud lifted. And then there was only one bride, not two, and she read the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures and the Brit Hadashah, and the veil was off of her face for the entire book. She understood all of it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, and he said, Laura, you are the first bride. You've understood the New Testament but you've had a veil over your mind and your heart concerning the Old Testament. Today, I'm taking that veil off. And so this is actually spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It talks about a veil about the other bride, the bride that reads the Old Testament, but has a veil over their mind concerning Yeshua, concerning the New Testament. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, yes, even today when they, that might be the Jews, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Verse 16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, to Yeshua, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
if ever you start to feel restrictions and like you're in a straitjacket and uh, I have all these restrictions and rules, that is not from the Spirit of the Lord. In the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. You're to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean we toss the Old Testament away, that it's been nailed to the cross? Absolutely not. But apart from the Spirit, we cannot keep the law. We will fail. The Torah is our tutor that leads us to Christ. And when we come to know him and we are truly born again and we ask Yeshua into our heart and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, then we can keep the law by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So the main thing is to be very connected to Yeshua. He is the head. We do not want to be disconnected from the head. Otherwise, we're walking around like a a headless soldier with no head. So this is what I really wanted to emphasize. Stay connected to Yeshua. Make sure that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you and that you are listening to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Have a blessed day, and we will see you tomorrow. Shalom. Vish Mareka Yaya Adonai Anavilaka Vikuneka Isa Adonai The Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.